Black King's Therapy, uh, episode 93. Sorry for the delay um, in posting. Uh, we were supposed to record uh, on Sunday. Well, actually, no, we were originally supposed to record on Saturday, but that was delayed because we had something to do. We'll get into that a little later, but we were supposed to record uh, over the weekend, and it just c couldn't happen. Uh, and and then, so that got pushed back to Monday. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, uh, Xfinity just decides to completely shut down in the uh, Sacramento area. I did hear some people, like, didn't lose their internet, but I was one of the ones that lost their internet. And by the time it came back, it was already very late. So we, me and Fong, just could not record, even though I, I swear to God, I really did want to record on, uh, yesterday, but it just wouldn't happen. And as for why we couldn't record over the weekend, a little bit of kind of gamer nerd nerddom, I guess. We were doing the Destiny 2 Vault of Glass raid. And if you guys don't know, raids take a long damn time, especially when we do it the first time. And uh, yeah, it just simply took up too much of our time for us to be able to record. And yeah, I even talked with Fong before that. We just didn't have the energy to do it. Yeah, let's just say I don't even know how many hours, to be honest, it took. But yeah, that's why we weren't here. So now we are here. <laughs> yeah. So yes, we are here now, and uh, yeah, let's get the uh, show on the road. So uh, I meant to, you know, um, record the episode like, but like, I think it was gonna be right after the a lot of the game ones of the series but unfortunately stuff has happened and we will adjust pro uh, accordingly you will be if you will be hearing us a lot today and if you guys like hearing our voices well here you go we're gonna have we're gonna be in for a long one. Oh yeah well i guess we shall start with some news uh, so first news is that, uh, you know, LeBron violated NBA health protocol rules by attending his own tequila brand. And uh, when I saw this news, I was like, oh, man, he's he's going to get it. He's really going to get suspended and not play the uh, playoffs at all. Uh, the first game I saw looking at the bot score with uh, the L.A. Lakers and Phoenix Suns, I was like, oh, he is playing. They really don't care. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you expect him to be suspended. Like, no, I mean, I guess for the sake of fairness, yes, he should be suspended. But come on, it's LeBron. That's the biggest star in the league. The NBA is not going to suspend him. And Charles Barkley put it perfectly. NBA ain't got the balls to suspend him because he's mm -hmm. the biggest draw. He's the best player in the, in the league. And honestly, for something that's... I don't want to say not a big deal, but like it's a bit meek, in my opinion, to be suspending him 10 to or not suspending him, but putting him to health and safety protocols for 10 to 14 days. And arguably, like they already lost Steph Curry in the playoffs. And we'll get to that later. But like you already lost Steph Curry. So like that's your uh, second biggest draw gone from the playoffs. You're not going to remove the biggest draw in the playoffs for something that, you know, again, it's a. It's not something I think that should ruin, I guess, the Lakers' run. Um, that's the that's the way I saw it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, moving on. Uh, let's see. So 
Jordan Clarkson won six man of the year, which uh, I'm kind of surprised that they're announcing some awards, uh, before, you know, uh, before the playoffs. Uh, so Jordan Clarkson won six man of the year, and it's actually presented by the runner-up, uh, Joe Ingles, which uh, was kind of nice of him. Uh, and for the crap, what was it? Most improved. Yeah, most improved player is a Julius Randle. So there's that. Yeah, congratulations to um, Jordan Clarkson. First of all, he he has been on fire this year. To like, he I'm I'm not the biggest fan of his game, but the Jazz have a system built in. Like where he his only his one and only job is to score, and he did a damn good job this year. Like you know he just hit ridiculous threes and just you know was a bucket getter. And Joe Ingles was right behind him. Like he didn't get buckets like you know Jordan Clarkson, but you know he contributed to the team. Like he is a winning player, and it's actually really nice to see that Joe Ingles like you know they know like that they were competing against each other, and he's like you know willing to be a good teammate and just say, you know what? He got, he got it. It's fine. We're all about, you know, the team doesn't really matter who wins it. Like as long as, you know, you know, they can function and they know their roles and like they contribute to, you know, winning basketball. Mm-hmm. No. And, and oh. oh, sorry, but like, uh, and Julius Randall, like, I mean, I don't know how he got so good all of a sudden, like 40% from three this year, which is crazy. Although I don't think a lot of attempts, but like the fact that he just learned how to pass is like the craziest, one of the craziest things in the world. Like this guy was known as kind of a black hole, a one dimensional player, a not a winning player. Like all he does is he gets buckets. He doesn't get all that efficiently, but, but all of a sudden this year he's getting buckets efficiently. He's, uh, you know, a great passer uh, all of a sudden, and like he's contributing to winning basketball, and he is the engine that drives that Knicks offense. Not so much the defense, but he brings a level of toughness and grittiness on the offensive end. And like, yeah, he has basically anchored, I guess, the Knicks' return. Oh yeah, I'm, to be honest, whoever that runner-up is, which I, I'm actually not sure, uh, but. Uh, when it, uh, the most improved player comes into mind, I, I'm thinking Julius Randle, to be honest. Yeah, I think there were some people that was going to say Zion. Um, I'm actually trying uh... to look it up right now. but So the, let's see, the three finalists for most improved player, it was Jeremy Grant and Michael Porter Jr. Wow, that's interesting. Jeremy huh. Grant, I thought just, you know, shitty team. Michael Porter Jr., he... I mean, he's had he's had some ups and downs, and like Julius Randle again was the anchor of like the Knicks' resurgence. So I think it was always going to be Julius Randle. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, just quickly shout out to Tyrese. Tyrese is on the Rookie of the Year finalist. I don't think he's winning it, but you know, shout out to him. Yeah, hopefully top three. We'll we'll have to see. He's top three, yeah. Oh, okay, that's great. Well, uh, moving on, uh, some actual Kings news for once. Uh, the NBA actually held a tiebreaker coin toss today to finalize the lottery order, and it was a freeway tie between the Bulls, Kings, and Pelicans. So the tiebreaker broke it up to now it's uh, now being uh, the eighth best odds being the Bulls, ninth best odds being. Yeah, you're right. It, Kings have the ninth best odds now, and uh, Pelicans have the tenth best odds. Um, so. 
Yeah. So meaning we have about a 4.5% chance at the number one overall pick, a 20.3% chance at the top four, and we have a pretty large marginal 50.72% chance at getting the actual ninth pick. And for some reason, they ruined this uh, on a 25.9% chance of getting the 10. So yeah, pretty much almost a guaranteed we get the knife but me and you were playing uh the tankathon website and you know we we got in the top four uh a few times so you know you never know yeah so now like things are kind of set up like i think tankathon gives us better odds and in the simulation and yeah i haven't gotten the number one pick in a while but like i've ended up in the top four like quite a few mm-hmm. times I- Honestly, if we're in the top four, that's a gr- that's great. Like I, I'm I don't think you have to be in the you know number one pick, although that'd be great. <laughs> but like any of those top five or top five, top four guys, like it's it, it'll be good for us. And we we won't get into it in this episode, but like I think if that pick ends up being ninth or hell even tenth, I think that pick is gone. I don't think we're keeping that pick. I think it's gonna be used in a trade, uh, in some way. And uh, yeah, we'll, I guess that's a preview for a future episode because we don't know what that trade is. There's no way to really project it. And we'll just wait till like after the playoffs to really talk about that. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably have to wait till maybe uh, when we get the, uh, like the finalized draft lottery, which will be held on uh, July 29th. So, so that's, yeah. so that the draft lottery, I think is in June. The actual draft is July 29th. I believe. Oh, I see. I see. So, okay. So we'll, we'll probably wait around till June to see what potentials we'll have with this uh, pick then. <laughs> Frozen envelope. What, what? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. Hope we'll, we'll wait till, uh, you know, the, yeah, till June to see. Hopefully, we got some lottery gods, you know, on our side. You know, we played hard down the stretch. We didn't just, you know, completely tank the season. Come on, basketball gods, please, pretty please. Maybe for once. It, yeah, it's been a while, so we'll see. <laughs> okay, well, that's it for the news. So the so we're gonna move into the main topic for this podcast and Fong did pick this did pick this topic and yeah so Jerry um the King's Herald show with Jerry Reynolds did a very interesting episode basically reviewing the season and we listened to it and we just kind of want to you know give our thoughts and I'm gonna ask Fong some questions about the podcast and you know the questions that were presented to Jerry so let, let, let's get this started so I guess the first question from the podcast, uh, everyone should listen to it. But it's a pretty good podcast. I, I mean, I don't always agree with the Kings Herald guys, but like they do bring up good points. And Jerry Reynolds is, you know, a former NBA executive, a former, you know, champion uh, with the Monarchs, and yeah, he's been around the game for a while. He was, he was a coach, he was a GM, and he was an announcer for a while. So he's been around Kings basketball for a while, and uh, as I mentioned, and. So the first question that was asked was, did the Kings overachieve or underachieve this year? Uh, well, I, I'm definitely going to say underachieve. Uh, most and foremost, because, uh, you know, Monty is picking up from what, you know, Vlade has left us. And Vlade has left us 
not much to work with. So Monty has to, you know, do the little cleanup for us uh, during the beginning of uh, this season. And uh, they have mentioned that, you know, this is this was Vladi's team with, you know, just just a sprinkle of Monty. And Monty did have to move around a lot of players during the season. And, you know, it kind of flip-flopped, you know, I guess you could say the team chemistry a little. But to be honest, by the end of the season, he did create kind of like a great hope for the next season. So uh, for now, I'm going to say underachieved because, you know, we've had our big losses and we have our good win streaks. But it really comes to the point where uh, it's a kind of like the building block that Monty's trying to build for the next season, I feel. Okay, so everything I just heard you say makes me think you're meaning to say overachieve because <laughs> you're saying because you're saying that, you know, we didn't have much to work with or the Kings didn't have much to work with. It was kind of yeah. like scraps from the Vlade era and Monty couldn't put his stamp on on you know the team by upgrading the roster and they managed to do you know decently well towards the end and give us hope so i don't know that that sounds like overachieving i don't know i i am tired and you know pretty tired this we team. just started <laughs> it's gonna be a long, it's gonna be a long yeah. episode yeah let, I'll, I'll check in on you by the end of the episode to make sure you're still alive um Anyways, I I think I think the Kings overachieved for the most part. Like, you know, as you mentioned, it, like this is a more of a Vlade team by at the beginning of the season than it was a Monty uh, team. Minus um, Bogey, minus Ken Bazemore. Like, we didn't have great guard depth. We didn't have great wing depth. And for much of the season. Like during the during those runs, like Jason Jones details this a lot. What during our like mini win streaks that we have, like where we won nine of eleven, we went on I think a five game winning streak. Like in those games, we won by playing seven guys, or in reality playing like you know De'Aaron forty minutes and all the starters just under forty minutes. Like you know that was never gonna last. And, you know, it gave us so much hope that this team was good. But unfortunately, those guys just ran out of gas because guess what? You can only really play seven guys with Corey Joseph and Hassan Whiteside coming off the bench, really. And like I remember for a stretch, Belly like literally was the only other only guy from the bench that scored. Like we just had no real bench depth. So the fact that like they were able to go on these like, you know, extended win streaks and like just these like. You know, again, like good NBA basketball or good stretches of good NBA basketball. Like, they, I think they overachieved this season, and like it really gave us hope. But you know, ultimately regressing to the mean. But I think like they get again, as you mentioned, they gave us hope by the end of the season that by next season, when Monty is able to better kind of put a stamp on the roster and be able to make moves, that this team can be better and be good enough to make the playoffs. Okay. Well, second question I have, um, or like that they presented, uh, that I want to ask you. They they talk a lot about you know letting Bogey walk and how this like essentially Monty just let good talent walk for nothing, and you know like was there an alternative option? And do you think we should have kept uh Bogey and not let him you know walk for nothing? Hmm. I mean, I wish we could have kept Bogey, but I I kind of forgot how our cap space 
or how or what uh kind of cash we could have offered him in the beginning of the season. It, I don't think it was as much as what Atlanta gave him, to be honest. So how it worked was that he was in restricted free agency, and we had an option to match the eighteen million dollar contract that he uh, that he ended up signing, and. Like he turned down a contract with 54 million uh, per year for I think four years at the beginning of last season, and he was looking for a big payday. So, you know, he was basically if we had had kept him, we could have kept him actually, but it, Monty wanted a uh, financial flexibility. And honestly, if you had kept him, like I think we would right under the cap, maybe like slightly over. And you definitely would not have been able to keep Rashawn without moving somebody um, this offseason. So now knowing all those, do you think we still should have kept Bogey? Ah, man. If we somehow got rid of, let's just say, Buddy first or Marvin second, uh, I would have kept Bogey, to be honest. Uh, I believe that he could have helped our team a lot better than what... um, Buddy could have uh, produced for us, or even uh, Marvin. Even though like they're all different, like they have their own different skill sets and assets uh, that could bring to the Kings. But I feel like uh, Bogey, in a way, has a lot more under his belt uh, that he could provide the Kings uh, that but Buddy or Marvin didn't have. Yeah, uh, the. I mean, I I did not, like, I wanted to keep him, but, like, that price tag was steep. Mm -hmm. And, like, this, I mean, I I don't think Monty wouldn't have signed uh, Buddy last year. You know, long story, but, like, I think, I unfortunately think, like, us leave letting Bogey walk is is kind of an after effect of, you know, the Vlade era. Because Vlade signed Buddy to that contract. And because he signed Buddy to that contract, he just simply didn't have space for Bogey, who, you know, as we definitely can say now, is a better player than uh, Buddy. And, yeah, I just I just think our hands were tied and Monty ultimately made the tough decision to just to let him walk for nothing. But I think it's more of a symptom like an kind of like dealing with kind of some of the sins of uh, Vlade. Although I will say, I think. Even if Monty was the GM last year, like I think he still would have signed Buddy to a similar contract because Buddy had a damn good season in uh, in mm-hmm. Jaeger's last year. Yeah, and like every, I think everyone at the time said that this this was a discount for Buddy. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, a little bit of revisionist history, but I think it's more, you know, we. We already signed Buddy to that deal, and the unfortunate timing of it is just that we ended up having to make a tough decision on Bogey, and the decision was to let him go. Yeah, which is too bad because, um, you know, with what happened with the Milwaukee thing too, we could have also got some assets back as well. But you know, that couldn't have. I mean, the NBA is not going to let that slide. So yeah. It, is what it is so yeah it's it's too bad okay uh, on to the next uh question although these two questions are kind of linked so um the next question i had just listening to the podcast was um the the king's Herald crew and jerry reynolds to discuss um 
the idea of like needing time to quote unquote evaluate the team, mm-hmm. like to evaluate the talent that was acquired and like to make basically make decisions on who you want to trade and who you want to keep. And the King's Herald guys basically made the point that Monty simply took too long to evaluate the team. And they are basic and they basically say that we should be expecting more from Monty McNair. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with those assessments? Like it took too long for Monty to evaluate the team and should we be expecting more from Monty McNair? I mean, it it was literally it's only been one season and it's a short season because of how compressed it is and uh you know, no training camp, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think uh, Monty needed at least uh, a whole other season to evaluate evaluate this team uh, because, you know, one, we, we didn't really have to make trade assets to move players around. And, you know, our team in the beginning was nowhere near as what it is now. Uh, but, yeah, I to be honest, from what I'm expecting from Monty this season, I'm more uh, towards... Uh, I'm expecting a lot more for next season. Yeah, I I just think, I mean, I don't know how to like judge, I guess, how long it takes to evaluate a team. Uh, you know, unfortunately, like with uh, the injuries to De'Aaron, like we couldn't really see like a good De- DeLon Wright and a good Terrence Davis play with um play with De'Aaron Fox for an extended period of time and Tyrese Halliburton. But like I think the I personally think that those two could fit next to De'Aaron, and you know, it, like we as fans like always like to play armchair GM and just like say, oh, I would have made that decision. It's such an easy decision to make of of like to do this or do that. But in reality, I don't think it's that easy. There's a lot more things you have to take into account before you make a decision. And maybe like Monty should have like t- taken a few more risk in terms of like taking on like more money but like if we're like a bigger play but i think he's saving up like that saving up assets and cap space to make a big move like you know uh Dilo and casey they talked a lot about maybe going after pascal siakam for example like maybe some sort of big move like that so i'm i'm still in a i'm still like waiting to see what monty does in this offseason and I want to mm-hmm. see if like that big trade is gonna be there, and if Monty is able to somehow pull off some magic. If he can't, I may start to get a little bit more skeptical about him because right now, like if this if this roster, like I love the upgrades that we made with Delon Wright and uh, Terrence Davis, I think we need something bigger if we're to seriously consider, you know, be like making the playoffs. I mean, in all honesty. I feel like Monty has been the best GM we had since I don't know how long. I mean, we we've been through the Vlade years for quite a little a little too long, I'd say. And I think uh, what Monty would bring for I'm hoping uh, this off season would you know outweigh or fix a lot of Vlade things that uh, Vlade wouldn't have done or uh, shouldn't have done, to be honest. I mean, like, a lot of the moves, honestly, like, I think it's, like, uh, it's tough to explain, but I think outside of the Buddy signing, I don't think Vladi made that many terrible, of course, the Luka, the Luka pick, <laughs> that, that's a bad, you know, that's a bad miss, but, mm-hmm. like, 
Other than that, like, it's just a buddy contract, in my opinion. I just think you just have to find a way to maneuver out of that somehow. Because right now, like, that is the big thing that I think that's kind of keeping, kind of holding back the Kings a little bit. And, I, you know, I like Buddy. And I think if we lose him, we actually do lose, like, shooting. And, like, he does bring things to the team. But I think right now that's kind of where, like, that's where a move needs to be made. It's either, you know, getting rid of one of Marvin or Buddy. And mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that those are the, that, you know, he has to make, he has to make up for those mistakes. But, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. And I, but I want to see what Monty can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next question uh, is, so, like, they talk about the options to improve this team. So they basically talk about the four teams that were, I guess, in the lottery at, at the same time that the Kings were. So they were Phoenix, uh, they were the Hawks, and uh, New York was not in the lottery, but, like, they were, you know, bad, but, like, they're good now. So... Do you think that the Kings can, I guess, replicate one of those teams? Like, can they replicate the Hawks? Can they replicate Phoenix? And can they, or can they replicate what the Knicks did? Do you think those are viable options for the Kings to be able to pursue? Uh, I I feel like we could replicate it in some ways. I, I don't know, like, to what extent, to be honest, but uh, depending on, like, who we pick up this off season? I think uh, we could definitely replicate in some ways. Um, like you said, yeah, I mentioned uh, Siakam and whatnot, but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll have to see because I, I'm not sure like what player would uh, you know bring us to that kind of level that the Hawks, Phoenix, or the Knicks have right now. Yeah, I'm, I mean, like I want to see it had to be a big trade, but I don't know who that guy is. Is it Pascal Siakam? Like I just I just mentioned to you off air. Like if the, if the Jazz somehow lose in you know round one, like is Mike Conley available? Like there are a lot of possibilities. Um, I just don't know where this goes. But like in terms of like you know replicating the Hawks, rep, the Hawks signed a bunch of honestly meh guys. Well, particularly Danilo Gallinari was like a very meh signing for a shit ton of money. Bogey was a good signing. Like that's, you know, 18 million. I'm pretty sure like they're happy with what Bogey's doing. They signed guys like Chris Dunn, who I don't know if he has played. Like they signed Rondo, which ended up turning into Lou Will. Like these guys, these guys, sure, they can bring you to the playoffs, but like then, then what? So like it's I don't I don't I didn't really love the Hawks signing at the time and I you know right now I, I look stupid because they're in the playoffs and they're very happy where they are but like let let's wait let's wait and see if they're happy in one or two in what you know two or three years mm-hmm. but like the Knicks is another one like where I'm just like Tom Thibodeau plays these guys shit tons of minutes and don't get me wrong like. There's a lot of like there's a lot of internal improvement from them, and that's what the Kings can try and replicate. Just have you know internal improvement from De'Aaron, from Tyrese, from if Buddy if he stays, from Marvin if he stays. Like Harris, Harrison Barnes, he's getting better every year. Like Delon Wright, Terrence Davis, those guys get better. Like that is actually replicatable. Although I do not want Luke to follow in t- Tom Thibodeau's footsteps in the minutes management. He is Julius Randle leads the league in minutes played per game, and I, R.J. Barrett I think is like third or second. I, and unfortunately, 
uh, Fox and Harrison are not that far off, and I think Buddy's pretty high up there too. Mm-hmm. Like that's why I really don't want Luke to follow. But in terms of like internal development, I think I think it's doable. Like you know the players and honestly even uh, Kings fans like praise this that we have a good developmental staff. So hopefully there is some internal improvement. Phoenix is an interesting one. Uh, so everyone talks about how great um, Chris Paul has been for the culture, how great he has been for the Suns, how great he has been for Devin Booker. But, like, don't get me wrong, he was amazing in uh, OKC, but that was only for one year. Mm-hmm. And when he got traded to Houston, that first year was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they fit they fit well together. They got along just fine. That second year. Chris Paul, I think, is where things start to turn. Even when he was on the Clippers, like first year, it was great. He t- he took the team to the playoffs. Second year, you start hearing chemistry issues. Like he starts to kind of wear on teammates because he's such a perfectionist and he kind of gets on teammates. He points out their mistakes and tells them to improve. And after a while, like Chris Paul just wears on teammates, and everyone like his teammates just kind of tell him to you know be quiet, like. You know, stop telling me all these things like you haven't won much either. And, you know, he and also that that's before the fact that I mentioned he's 36, I think, turning 37. Or is he 35 turning 36? I don't remember. I don't know, but he, he's he's getting there in age. And, you know, there'll be some sort. I mean, he is dropping off uh, very slowly. So, yeah, well, let me search that up. Yeah. So like the fact that like, you know, he is very old and like, again, he tends to wear on teammates. And I think that second year is when things start to get ugly. Do they want to resign Chris Paul? I mean, they, they probably should, but I think it's kind of a rock and a hard place kind of type situation. So like, you know, I like they probably maintain how good they are, but I think there might be a blow up next year in Phoenix and, you know, they might, they might take a weird turn. <clears throat> So I don't know if like, you know, Kings should replicate that. Well, hopefully if like a Chris Paul type player is out there, they they go for it. Like, as I mentioned, Mike Conley, maybe. I don't know. But like or Pascal Siakam, like if those guys are available, I would try and replicate that and try to go try and go after that free agent or the trade uh, acquisition and. Yeah, I think that could have really helped to fix the culture of the Kings, which, you know, there is a cloud over us and something like a Chris Paul type figure can do a lot to fix it. Mm -hmm. So I just searched out. He actually turned 36. So, yeah, he is he is getting there in age, but uh, he is still a viable option for a lot of teams. So we'll see what Phoenix Suns do about him. Yeah, we shall see. Okay, next uh, question I have for like for you that I you know got from listening to the pod, as I mentioned, uh, Marvin Bagley. They talk a lot about how some players just they needed a, they basically need a new environment to flourish. Julius Randle was how what they mentioned. Like they mentioned how Julius Randle just would not be Julius Randle if he remained a Laker. And you can't really fault the Lakers for actually just letting him go for bait. Well, basically for Rondo, but like they mm-hmm. they let him go for nothing was basically the gist of it. And like looking back now, that's a pretty bad decision because, you know, Rondo's no longer with the team, although he did win them a championship. But like 
you know, they just let ta- a young talent just walk for nothing. And they basically point this conversation back to Marvin Bagley. Marvin is clearly a very talented player and has a lot of potential. But do, do you think, like, do you think he needs a new environment, a lot like a Julius Randle, in order to flourish into a great player, a good player, or a great player? Or can he do it in Sacramento, do you think? I feel like it's a toss-up for me. Uh, in one half, I'd say if he's not as injured as much as he was in Sacramento, he would have gone that kind of play time and would have improved over time. But due to, you know, all that injuries he had, I mean, he, he just hit, like, what, almost a full season during his, what, third year? Um, yeah, I'd say if he wasn't as injured, he would have gone that kind of play time and he would flourish here. But, I mean, you know, trading him to another team, um, I feel like he'll kind of end up the same. He'll end up kind of the same. As long as he's healthy, uh, I feel like he'll eventually flourish. So, altogether, he's played 118 games. That is, yeah, that in three uh, seasons. It's not great. Yeah, um, it's it's about, like, what, a year and a quarter almost? A year yeah. and a half? In three years, it's not great. But I think he, yeah, I think, you know, the chances of him flourishing in Sacramento is like, like at best, like, I think 30%. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, I think in the same, I think there's a lot of talent there. If he can somehow find a way to just kind of learn how to play winning basketball, like, like before, before this year, like, would you have ever said that about Julius Randle? Oh, no. I, I thought he would. You know, just be the same old Julius Randall coming out of L.A. Yeah, if you said yes, I would have called you a lying sack of shit. So, <laughs> but like, I think like it just comes out of nowhere sometimes. Some some players just figure it out sometimes. It doesn't happen often. Julius Randall is in, is an exception to the rule. It doesn't happen often. And like, I think if he's given the opportunity to play, like play meaningful fourth quarter minutes on a different team that's willing to invest that time into him. I think he can flourish into a really good player. My, that's my that's my opinion. But like I highly doubt it will happen here in Sacramento just mm-hmm. because there's just so many issues like just with kind of how he plays defense and you know how offensively he's trying to learn and I think he can get there but in Sacramento it's going to be tough just because there's so many li- he's so limited in terms of opportunities. So mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, I think he's going to need to be moved to flourish. What you call it? You know, it's kind of funny because I I actually saw a trade on or offer or you know a made up trade uh, uh, from a website I was reading and they were saying you know maybe a one for one trade for Mo Bamba. What do you think? No. <laughs> Obama's worse. Like, what are we talking about? That dude got crossed up by fucking by fucking Taco Fall. No, I'm out. I'm out of Obama. <laughs> yeah, when I saw that, I was like, mm, Owen's gonna not like that. <laughs> yeah, get a like, get a CAT scan or something like that. Something wrong with that dude's brain. I, I, of course, I'm not a big fan of Obama. Like, he specifically didn't want to come to Sacramento. Yeah, ha, ha, how's uh, how's Orlando going for you, big fella? 
I'm just saying, like, there's not a lot of talent there. I don't think either. Like, I think he's well. There's a lot of talent. Maybe he need, maybe he's in. He's kind of like the same thing as Mark, but he needs a different place to flourish. But it, it won't be here in Sacramento. I'm sorry. I don't want him. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only reason that the website gave was uh, we needed a uh, another center. So, you know, do we do we? I, I don't know. It's not like he's a bulky center. Like it's like it's not like he's a tough. Well, at least I haven't seen it. It's not like he's like an enforcer or anything. What we need is a big tough guy. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. It's not it's not so much just centers, but yeah, no, that, that's a double 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 no for me. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Uh, next question. Uh, so th- these two next questions are related to Luke Walton. So Luke Walton has been um, basically being pro- not profiled, but like he's he's been se- you know said to be a players coach. He has good relationships with the front office. He has a good relationship with players, and you know he he, he seems to be very calm on the sidelines. And you know a lot of times even I feel like he should be getting on the players more, but apparently he does that um, behind the scenes more. But, like, do you think just Luke being a player's coach and being, I guess, having good relationships with the players, is that a bad thing to you? Or do you think he needs to be, like, more fiery and kind of get on players? Like, a lot like a Tom Thibodeau it is kind of my constant comparison. I I feel like it could uh, go either way. Like, having a player's coach is a pretty great thing because, you know, players actually respect Luke and uh, they really like him. Uh but if Luke is too soft when it comes to, you know, trying to win games, I I don't think that's a good thing. I think he I think Luke should have that uh fire in him telling like players you know, what they're doing wrong or what they should do to correct the, you know, a winning environment. So as I mentioned, like there are times when he's, you know, very calm on the sidelines after like a bad play or after like a stupid play mm-hmm. like that. I mean, that that does bug me sometimes how he's just like he ne- I feel like he needs to maybe be a little bit more fiery. But from reports that I've heard from guys like Sam Amick, he's actually very fiery. Um, yeah. Behind the scenes. And like he really tr- he does. He holds the players accountable behind mm-hmm. behind the scenes. And as long as he's doing that behind the scenes, I'm fine with it. If he doesn't show it on uh, in front of the cameras, that's perfectly fine with me. But he needs to let the players know like what to do. Like I don't want to push over. Is is what is my thing with him. So, uh, with the podcast with Rashawn Holmes and uh, road tripping with um, Richard Jefferson and Shane uh, Shane. Channing Fry. Uh, we'll, we'll get over that uh, later on because there's a few points that Rashawn has made about uh, Luke. You know. Yeah. Um. So. Okay. Well, we'll get to that in a bit. Um. Moving on to the next. So this is the part. This was a question that honestly perplexed me a little bit. So. You know they're they're talking about you know the C Web trade and how a a guy like bringing a guy in like C Web basically changed the entire team the the complexion of the team and signing Vladi and those guys and they talk about who is that player and they brought up the name uh, Damanis Sabonis from Indiana now Sab- or uh, Indiana is having a lot of turmoil right now and it seems like they're going to have a fire sale at some point 
Mm-hmm. Would you be interested in trading for a Sabonis? Is he the Chris Reb- the current day Chris Weber to this team? I mean, I wouldn't mind having Sabonis in our team, but what do you think? What what can we trade for him? Let, well, let's not worry about that. Would you trade for him? Would you want him on this team? Let's just say we give a Marvin and uh, like say give a Marvin and say our pick for their pick and Sabonis. Ooh, I feel like we or I would do it. I I'm I'm leaning towards we should do it. When when we ding, what what pick do they have? Wait, you know. Uh, I just turned I just turned off the tankathon. God damn it. Um, I know. <laughs> they have the thirteenth pick or thirteen best odds. Mm-hmm. So which isn't bad, but um, I, I if that's the case, it really comes down to what um uh what uh pick we actually do get in June. But uh, you know, I wouldn't mind a Sabonis player for a for Marvin to be honest. Okay, what do we like say? We have to throw in Justin James and one uh, of one of Justin James or Louis King. Let's just say for example. Hmm. And we don't we don't get any player bat besides the bonus. Yeah, I think he's got a decently sized contract. Yeah. So yeah, we have to throw some stuff in. Mm. In my opinion, if that's the case, I think we should look elsewhere. Uh, I still think uh, Marvin has a lot to prove for himself. If that's the case, if whether or not we keep him or not, but uh, you know, getting the bonus isn't too bad of a deal, I would say. I'm actually on the opposite side. I am not a fan of Sabonis. <laughs> I just think like he 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 raises the team's floor. Don't get me wrong. He is a better player than Marvin, but I rather I rather bet on the talent of Marvin, <laughs> honestly, than to trade for a guy like Sabonis. I think he's a guy that really limits your ceiling just because he's not a defensive guy. He doesn't shoot threes, and doesn't doesn't really play any defense really. I just I'm just not a fan of those type of guys. He is a good player. I'm just just not a player I want on my team. And I don't really get the weird like love for him from a lot of King or from some of King's Twitter. That's just me. I see. Okay, next up. So uh, this was one of the parts that really make my ears perk up a little bit. Um, Jerry, I think, was it Jerry or was it one of the King's Herald guys? He, he, they suggested Buddy for Al Horford. What do you think? In my opinion, no. <laughs> In my oh, really? Opinion, okay. Yeah, no. Oh, you think otherwise? No, no, no give me your reasoning. Uh, I think, like, uh, from what reading your notes here is, uh, uh, if, whether or not Al Horford will tune in or tune out here. And I feel like he's, he might tune out. I feel like, I don't know, since we have like a set culture here, I think he wants more of a winning culture when it comes to uh, going back to the playoffs or even potentially winning a championship someday. And, you know, uh, I still believe in Buddy in some ways, but... You know, yeah, like like we said before, his contract's kind of ridiculous, and you know, it's probably time to move on. But I don't think it, uh, 
buddy for Al Horford is the right move, in my opinion. See, I'd go the opposite way, actually. Because I'd, like, you know, Horford's still a basketball player. And, like, people say, like, oh, if he comes here, he's going to tune out. I personally don't think so. I think he would buy in. And, you know, you, you mentioned, like, making the playoffs. Like, if he makes the playoffs here and he's, like, one of the key figures to do it, like we're building a statue of him out here like mm-hmm. think just think about it like iman shumpert has become a cult hero here in sacramento for you know having a first a good first half of the season mm-hmm. like like you know for the most part like trevor reese's like the big one that i that comes to mind when like guys that just did not straight up just did not play well and did not like it here like trevor reese is really one of the only guys even though he had some good stretches here and you know, I think like we'll, we'll get to, we'll go in more detail later. But if Rashawn Holmes stays in Sacramento, like Al Horford will be a great fit next to him because one of the issues with Rashawn is he, he can't shoot, so you can't have a traditional center out there with him. So, but Al Horford is one of those guys who can shoot theoretically, anyway. Like can theoretically shoot and provi- actually provide spacing, so you actually have two big two big men out there, you know, d- you know, down the stretch, hopefully. Like, I think he would be able to fit in here. And, you know, he's a he's a good, like, you know, culture setter, I feel. Like, he's a, you know, a veteran, and, you know, not an old man, but well, he's getting up there in age. But, like, he's that kind of, I feel, the locker room, another one of those kind of locker room presences, like a Harrison Barnes, for example. And I think he can, you know, he has, he comes from that pedigree. He can, I feel like, you know, if you have another, you know, smart vet like him with experience, you know, winning, like, I feel he could really help the culture. I see what you mean. Uh, I guess it all comes down to uh, the price. I guess we have to pay or, you know, what OKC has to provide uh, with that trade, because I feel like uh, trading to OKC will be a little tough. Uh, other than that, I, I was thinking that we would probably get, you know, another big man off of a second round pick uh, this upcoming draft. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't I haven't thought of the situation there. But the only issue is it doesn't really open up any cap space for us to resign Holmes. Like that's still going to be tricky. But because Al Horford's contract is pretty, you know, substantial. But so I don't mm-hmm. know. I just feel like he's a great fit. He would be a great fit. Well, basically anywhere except for the Sixers. So. You know, I I'm I'm open to that to the idea of trading for him. It it would suck to say bye to Buddy, but like, you know, I think it's time for him to move on from Buddy. Uh, like, unless he's you know, you know what? Let's talk about right now. Like, do you think Buddy is gone this off season? Does he have a future with Sacramento? And does and if he do, if you think he does, do you think he can flourish here in Sacramento? I feel like in terms of flourishing, it's a little tough here for Buddy. I don't think he'll um, flourish too much. I'd, I'd say maybe one or two steps further up, hopefully in the more defensive and maybe playmaking area, but I don't have high hopes in there. But yeah, I think uh, Buddy is gone, and I'm hoping for the right price. Like, I 
personally think there is a future with him, uh, w- with Buddy, like, on this team. It just has to be off the bench. And honestly, mm-hmm. in a rather limited role. Just because, like, his short, his defensive shortcomings, you know, his, his strength is shooting. But that's really his only strength. His passing, his ball handling is still kind of suspect. Although his passing, I think, has gotten better. But the ball handling needs to get better. He's just not a starter. Like, it's First of all, it's Tyrese's role, basically, going forward. Like, And I just don't think, like, if, you, if we are to become a playoff team, that he can start for us. He has to come off the bench as the sixth man of the team. And he was good coming off the bench. Like, it just sucks that... There's this stigma about about coming off the bench. I just feel like it, but like if he like insists on being a starter, if he's not willing to buy into that role, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I want him gone at that point. And you know, even even though the money would be tough to swallow, like I still think there, if he comes off the bench and can you know produce, like just just keep it that way, because like it's he's just not good enough to be a starter. And unless there's some substantial improvement with his defense and ball handling, I don't think I just don't think any team will ever start him. Like he he's a bench player. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. If if he stays this way. Yeah, sadly it's more up to you know what Buddy thinks of that uh, position and role. But you know if he does come off the bench, I feel like we have a future uh, six man in our uh, team. Six man of the year, you mean? Yeah, six man of the year. I mean, yeah, like in a very limited role, like, well, I, I wouldn't say he would do what Jordan Clarkson does, but he can he can get buckets like, you know, if he just if you just limit his role to shoot and pass and then move, don't try not to dribble like there's no reason why he can't do what Duncan Robinson is doing. So I think in a certain in a certain role where you can simplify what he needs to do, I think he can flourish. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, really, uh, it comes down to Buddy, to be honest. Okay, well, on to the next player, uh, Rashawn Holmes. He is an unrestricted free agent. There is a report, I believe it was by Sam Amick, or I, no, James Ham. sorry, James Ham of NBC Sports. He reported that Rashawn's team, his management, is basically at, like looking for a $80 million contract for four years, $20 million a year basically. And that's the price he's going to be looking for uh, on the free market. And yeah, um, the Kings without opening up any, without trading either one of but Bagley, uh, Buddy or Barnes, the three Bs, um, they're basically the max contract that the Kings can offer him with early bird rights. Well, you know, I, I don't know the details of what that is, but they can only offer him uh, just under fifty million over four years. Hmm. Yeah, I remember we were talking about like in previous uh, episodes where you know Rashawn's price, in our opinion, is close to you know the twelve to fifteen million a year. Uh, but you know Rashawn asking for that kind of money. Yeah, I mean, for a player of his caliber and from where he came from, he he definitely deserves it. It's just, uh, man, yeah, we I don't know if we could pay it unless, yeah, we really do have to get rid of Buddy or Marvin. Um, are, do you think we're willing to uh, pay Rashawn that much? 
20 million a year? No. I think that's a little that's too steep for my liking. Like 18 is probably as high as I would go. And you know, uh you know Jerry has said that he expects Holmes to get around 15 15 plus million. You know, somewhere around maybe 15 to 20 million. And you know, I'm of course I want him to like, you know, maybe take a hometown discount for Sacramento, but if I was him, if I was his advisor, go get that money. If a team is willing to offer you 20 million a year, like, you know what? Go for it because you've earned it. And honestly, with how volatile the Kings' situation can be, the Sacramento Kings can be, like, let's just say you, you re-sign here for a discount. And for whatever reason, the situation just blows up. Now you're stuck earning less money and you don't know about your future like mm-hmm. in, in the league. And you might be traded and you're stuck with less money. I, you know, I'm just one of those guys that just believes the players just deserve all the money they can get. And, you know, if I was his advisor, you know, if it's if he has to leave sack to get the most money, you know what? Go for a Rashawn. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's probably the best situation when it comes to, you know, a player's mindset. You want to support your family. And yeah, that 20 million year, that definitely would <laughs> want Rashawn out of here. But yeah, it's, it's too bad. But yeah, man, only if. Uh, he takes that hometown discount, which I highly doubt. Yeah, give or take, if it, like he's if like the Kings are willing to offer him like say sixteen million a year, like mm-hmm. I would love for him to stay, like at that point. But you know, like you know, Rashawn, go get that money because this will be probably your only big payday, and you know you're gonna be set up for the you know for generations with that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Um. Next one. Um. So they. So the Kings, um, or the the Kings Herald guys, I think Tony and Brendan, they talked about how Vivek was apparently. There were reports saying that I, he, they say from Sam Amick. I don't remember seeing that report, but Vivek was, you know, okay with firing Luke in the middle of the season. But now that, of course, this this was actually recorded before the announcement that Luke Walton was going to stay. So you know. I, I do believe those reports and that Vivek probably was looking to fire Luke, or not looking, but like he was probably okay with the idea. But now that he's going to stay, I assume Monty really vouched for him then. Like, what do yeah. you think of the Luke situation? Yeah, I remember listening to that podcast saying that uh, Monty uh, told you know everyone that you know Luke is going to stay for that season, and we'll see after that. And, you know, Vivek saying that to fire Luke in the middle of the season when we're, like, kind of having, you know, up and down years, injuries, et cetera, et cetera, it's kind of a kind of a dick move, you know? Because it's, it's like what we've done with previous coaches. And it's going to continue with this kind of trend where we just fire a coach and, you know, hire a new one or, you know, let the assistant coach become the next head coach, and which would be, I believe, uh, Ah, crap. What was his name? uh, Alvin Gentry? Alvin Gentry, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... I mean, we're just going to... It's just going to end up the same, to be honest. Alvin Gentry is not as... is pretty much the same as, you know, what Luke's doing for this season. So, you know, it's just going to continue this trend of, you know, of a bad type of culture that we shouldn't be setting in the first place 
Yeah, that's exactly where I stand. I just like the there was it was looking really bad for Luke. Like uh, the game we lost against the New York Knicks, where he broke the clipboard. That look that was basically the peak of like the frustrations and like the most likely that Luke was going to be gone. As I said, I just don't think Alvin Gentry is the answer. And I don't know a coach that could really turn this thing around without some sort of, you know, substantial upgrade with the talent, because that was the issue. It really wasn't so much Luke. Like that was before the trades, of course. And I, I think it was before the trades. And at that point, the, the team just was not just didn't have the talent. It was basically playing seven guys. And though <laughs> those seven guys, some of them got injured. So like. I just always felt that firing a coach in the middle of the season when they're going through a losing streak that's more or less caused by injuries is like the dirtiest way to like fire a coach. Like what they what happened to Ryan Saunders in Minnesota? I that was honestly pretty filthy. Like Ryan Saunders had I think five total games. It was not a lot of games with both uh, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Like all like in two years basically. And like mm-hmm. they fired him because they they quote unquote underperformed, and like to make matters worse, like they hired Chris Finch from uh, from Toronto, which is basically like you know you breaking up with your girlfriend, and before your girlfriend even got her stuff like out of the out of your apartment, you're already you're already fucking your new girlfriend in the in the same bed that you guys used to sleep in before she even moved out. Like that's that's kind of almost like how I saw it, and. I, I just always felt like th- I feel that's dirty and I don't think like, you know, I don't know what kind of coach the Kings could hire to, you know, absolve all that filthiness that would come from firing Luke because of, you know, because of what happened in the middle of the season, like those two losing streaks. Again, I just think, you know, it, it's, it's comes down to talent and mm. I just never felt that firing Luke it, during his two seasons like was ever going to be fair. No. I mean, we had to give him another chance, especially with Monty being our new GM and try to rebuild uh, what Wadi has left for us. I mean, Luke, in the beginning of the season, yeah, he, we really didn't have much uh, to go off of, along with the injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we just have to play this season like uh, any other season we've had for the Kings. And, yeah, I hope we could uh, rebuild for the off season uh, when Monty is still with us. Or when with Monty, I, I meant to say. Yeah, and just seeing how Luke is going to stay, I assume, again, I assume that Monty is, you know, vouching for him very much. So, and um, according to the sources, I was listening to the Carmichael Dave show, um, and he was talking to Sam Amick, and Sam Amick said him his sources tell that tell him that Monty has very much been empowered to make his own decisions, and mm-hmm. you know you know combining that report with the fact that he is now you know seemingly like very much behind Luke, so that makes me think that this decision to keep Luke Walton is a Monty decision, and. It's good to see that level of synergy between the front office and the and the coaching staff. And, you know, it's a good it adds a level of stability. And I'm happy that, like, it seems like Vivek is not as involved in decision making as he as he used to be, because, boy, if this team is to ever, like, dig itself out of the mud, Vivek needs to just 
distance himself from decision making as much as he can because anytime I hear him meddling, it's not good. No, and you know, for some reason, I guess they haven't reported it as much uh, with Vivek. But yeah, I haven't haven't heard much from uh, Vivek this whole season. I mean, you know, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but yeah, let's just hope uh, he stops that and just handles the, you know, the the money situations uh, with his companies and whatnot. Yeah, the hope is that Monty is the one making decisions and Vivek is not the one kind of overriding his decisions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, no, no, this is related to Luke, but it doesn't really apply anymore because, again, this was recorded before, or the the King's Herald podcast was recorded before the announcement of that we're keeping Luke. <clears throat> but let's just say for whatever reason, this is going to unfortunately involve Vivek meddling. But let's just say if a guy like Terry Stotts, who is on the hot seat, Boonhoser, who is on a super, you know, steaming hot volcano, you know, level of you know hot seat. And Kenny Atkinson, who's uh, assistant coach for the Clippers right now, let's just say if one of these guys become available. Should we fire Luke for one of these coaches, do you think? Uh, hmm. No, I feel like it's just going to – we're going back to step one and, you know, rebuilding another culture, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, well, I'll start with uh, I'll start with Boonholzer. I don't think Boonholzer is that good of a coach, to be honest. Like, I think he he has a great roster in Giannis and you know Chris Middleton and those guys. Like, he of course, like he did take over after uh, after Jason Kidd and you know un basically unlocked that roster. But ever since then, it's not really been good. Like, they've come up short. And it just seems like he is unable to be, you know, coach in the playoffs when you have to make adjustments. They they play the exact same way every time. And this year will be a proving ground for him. And if they don't get deep in the playoffs, he might be gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I just don't I just don't think he's a great coach. T Terry Stotts would be interesting, but I'm not sure, like, you know, if he if you want to hire him right away. Like, he's been kind of honestly strapped by the front office of Portland who just keeps giving him small guards for some reason. I did not get the Norman Powell trade. It's like you trade away a, you know, a guy with potential for a guy that's honestly about the same size as Gary Trent jr. In a backcourt, that's already small. Mm -hmm. I, I do not get the, I do not understand the thinking behind that, but like, you know, he, he see, you know, Terry Styles is definitely a good coach, and he's another one of those cases where I think it's unfair if he's going to be fired just because, again, as I mentioned, he's been pretty strapped by the front office uh, workings in Portland. And Atkinson would be interesting, but I'm not sh Like, I don't know is the problem. Is, is he actually better than Luke? Like, it, it'll take it'll probably take a few years, and, like, I don't want to hear that shit right now just because it's been pretty awful basketball and i don't think he's the guy to take us to the next level i, I don't know if he is yeah it's it's a bunch of toss-ups that yeah we we can't risk any mix mishaps or mix-ups at the moment because you know we have a lot of contracts to settle and you know a lot of guys really want to win now and i don't know if uh, getting a new coach is you know, going to take us to the next level sooner. We're or definitely not going to win right away is, the, yeah. is what I'm afraid of, you know? Yeah, exactly. 
Oh. Yeah, and the and also um you know I was listening to um oh yeah Ke- Kenny Caraway on the Locked On Kings, and he talked about you know something very interesting to me. Um, Atkinson, like his first few years were terrible because they didn't have like the talent, and then all of a sudden I think yeah. in his third season, like I think after they got D'Lo. Like they they kind of blew up and made the playoffs. I forgot the other coaches he he listed, but it was basically he made the point like it takes a few years for like the coaching staff and like the coach the head coach and like the players to kind of figure it out, and that's when they start winning. Mm-hmm. And they're get and the Kings are getting to that point where they're going to be entering their third season, and like it's kind of make or break time, and this is kind of where things start to kind of fall into place. So I so he made the great a, a great case to keep Luke is just that letting him develop along with the players and let's see where it goes like I of course there's no way to really say like oh Luke is definitely gonna you know take take us to the next level I have no guarantee of that but like I want to at least take a chance of you know working towards some stability and letting like letting Luke kind of just figure it out. I know he's not had a great two years, but it, it has been a two very weird years as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, we'll have to see. Uh, two other names that the that the Kings Herald and Jerry brought up: Wes Unseld and Vanterpool, like as assistants coaches. Vanterpool is apparently very popular amongst like players. Like Damian Lillard, like openly questioned the hiring of Chris Finch for the Timberwolves and because he wanted he was he was saying like why didn't they just promote David Vanterpool he's a great assistant coach like he he he's set he's you know set for a head coaching job and Wes Unsell I think is just is I think also an assistant coach and he is ready to step into a head coaching job do you does do any of these guys intrigue you as maybe well, like we've both established, we don't want to fire Luke, so these guys will be assistant coaches. So, yeah, would you be interested in these two as assistant coaches? Yeah, I actually wouldn't mind. Actually, uh, there has been uh, talks about uh, either Bobby Jackson, Lindsey Harding, and uh, I think Jonah Herskew, I think that's her name, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get a head coaching job for the Stockton Kings uh, G League team. So. Yeah, there 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 might be an open spot soon for either of these guys, and I wouldn't mind adding them into the roster. Yeah, I'm really interested in Vanterpool, just because like the players vouch for him. I think there's mm-hmm. something there. And Wes Unsell, I don't know much about, but you know why not? Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know I don't have too many things to say about this one. I just I just thought it was interesting these names these names kept getting brought up. Hmm. Oh, I mean, if players vouch for Vanderpool, why not add him? But you know, I guess I—I I mean, if he gets a you know a higher position elsewhere, I mean, go for it because if players think he deserves it, he deserves it. Then. Yeah, that's kind of where I stand as well. Uh, okay, so next uh, next topic. So the NBA announced their next um, class of their 2022, yeah, 2022 Hall of Fame class, and what and <clears throat> four of the inductees are you know Kings related. So Chris Webber finally getting his due of getting into the Hall of Fame. He's mm-hmm. had a lot of controversies, which is what's been keep, keeping him out, but finally he gets his chance to 
you know, go into the Hall of Fame. Much well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Rick Adelman, you know, the greatest Kings coach of all time, basically. Our only, our only, I think, eight winning seasons are all with Rick Adelman. <laughs> yeah. And he basically, like, he made his, I mean, he was the coach of the Portland Trailblazers when they made the playoffs, or no, when they made the finals in 92. Mm-hmm. And he, he was, he, and, you know, he also took uh, the Houston Rockets with Yao Ming to the second round, but he is mo- he is w- basically most well-known for being, you know, the great- being part of the greatest show on earth, being the head coach of that team, of, mm-hmm. of the, you know, early 2000s Sacramento Kings. So very much well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yolanda Griffith, she was the finals, M- finals MVP for the WNBA Finals uh, for the, uh, I think, an 05 for the Sacramento Monarchs. You know, very much well-deserved, and yeah, I'm glad she's going into the Hall of Fame. And, you know, the man that is most well-known for being a coach of the Kings for one season, Bill Russell is going in, also going into the Hall of Fame as a coach. So, yeah, shout-out to Bill Russell for, you know, being the head coach for one year for the Kings. Hey, was it for Sacramento or was it for Kansas? It is for Sacramento because I remember he, he there. Kenny Smith tells a story where he was he was drafted by Sacramento, and mm-hmm. like yeah. he was on a bus ride with Bill Russell, and Bill Russell made Kenny sit next to him, and you know, you know he was a rookie, so he kind of had to do what the coach told him told him. And Bill Russell asked him, "Do you think I'm punishing you by making you sit next to me?" And Kenny said, "No, no, I guess." But then, but then Bill Russell tells him, "Well, I'm making you sit next to me because I don't want you hanging around those losers in the back." And it's not like this is—he's not whispering this. He's literally saying this out loud, and everyone just kind of looked at Bill Russell's like, "Wait, what? We're losers?" <laughs> but like he was basically saying, like, "I don't want you guys to—I ha- don't want you, Kenny, to hang around these losers and pick up bad habits." So that's uh, basically the Bill Russell story oh, um, that is uh, so of good. the Kings. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can't really say he's wrong. Like, you know, they were not good that year, by the way. I think they won like 27 games or something like that. Yeah. So um, yeah. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Bill Russell associated with the Kings. Very oh. cool. Um. Okay. Moving on to the final few topics uh, of the pod. Jerry thinks that Louis Louis King is an NBA player, and like, there's a lot of potential there. But doesn't think he's worth. Uh, let's just say if he wants like a guarantee contract for five million a year, he doesn't think he's worth that just yet. What were your thoughts? Hmm. Yeah, it's hard to say because he, he's. I mean, he is still a two-way player, and uh, he, in my opinion, has not shown too much to uh, get a contract yet. Uh. You know, if we signed him like a lot earlier in the year, maybe kind of like how Metu was uh, uh, when we uh, had him as a two-way and signed him later on in the season. I think we I would have said otherwise, but yeah, I think he still has a little more to prove just because uh, he only really played like not uh, not so many minutes towards the end of the season. I think like literally like 10, like three games of like meaningful minutes. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I'd like to see what he is. He's very much intrigues me. He like, he's got a good, I feel like he's got a good handle. You know, he's a long player and like he can, it seems like he can do everything on the court. 
I just don't know if he can, you know, be consistent with it and like actually create a shot. But he's got something, I feel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll see. Of course, like yeah, Jerry's right. Like he hasn't shown enough to be, you know, proven to be worth a guarantee contract. And if he's looking for five million, like yeah, you know, he's he hasn't proven enough. But there's a lot of potential there, and I'm interested in what he becomes. Yeah. And also, this was a bit discouraging. So Jerry talked about Robert Woodard. He's he doesn't see much in him, basically. Like he says that Woodard just looks like an undersized power forward who can't shoot threes. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, we haven't seen much from him. Uh, but from the little stints that we do see him, because I, I'm pretty sure he played the least amount of minutes out of all the rookies and two-way players. Uh, he has pretty good uh footwork, really, like in terms of uh staying on the man and staying in front of man, and you know, defensive wise, yeah, sure, but offensive wise, yeah, I, we haven't seen much from him, and I, I actually didn't know he can't shoot free, so hmm, we'll see. He, what? it's intriguing. Like it's not something that's part of his game just yet. Yeah. I feel it's one of yeah. those situations. I feel. Yeah, right. Same with Willie King. It's like he has. He has potential. It's just that we haven't seen it yet, or he hasn't proven it to us to it, uh, to it yet. Um, but you know, hmm. he he's is he he's still a rookie contract, right? He is a rookie contract, yes. So you know, we, we could still keep him around. I mean, still develop in the G League, or you know, play off in the third unit. I mean, he's still uh, you know, a prospect to uh potentially flourish in the future yeah so here's my philosophy with a lot of these rookies you can usually throw the first year out like the first year out especially if they're bad because like you know rookies are usually never good anyways and like it takes them a while to get adjusted to the nba and like you know defensively it's very intriguing with them you know he's a thick boy who looks like he's got a lot of, you know, strength like in there and seems like he seems like he has pretty quick feet for the most part, you know, for mm-hmm. this guy his size. The shooting was intriguing in college. I think he shot like 40%, but on very low attempts and his mechanics look fine. It's a little it's a bit slow, but I think with enough training that can, that will come along. We'll see how good he becomes, but it's an intriguing thing. I will say he like, you know, this profile kind of reminds me a little bit of Draymond Green, although he's probably a, a lot more often or Woodard is probably more offensively like, you know, focused and Draymond's way more defensively minded. But like, mm-hmm. you know, undersized power forward, it just sounds familiar when you sit when you, when you bring up a name like Draymond. Like he was a guy that came in like not having a position who was too undersized to be a power forward and then too not quick enough to be a small forward and look at him he became one of the greatest defenders of all time am i saying that he's going to become draymond green no but i say like it doesn't i don't think being an undersized power forward is exactly a bad thing for woodard mm-hmm. especially if he can find a way to develop his offensive game which isn't there yet yeah so there's no debate about that yeah, I mean, we haven't seen it yet, but from the news that we heard from when he was in the G League, I mean, he, he's been doing pretty well. So hopefully it does convert uh, into the NBA someday, and uh, hopefully, yeah, we have a good uh, bench player. Yeah, uh, I'm intrigued with what he becomes. Uh, and last thing about the pod. 
So, the, I mean, we mentioned we mentioned this before on one of our podcast episodes. Like, I don't know how Doug and Mark and or Kyle do it, but they but like this broadcast is amazing. I feel like somehow they manage to always stay positive. And, you know, that, you know, Jerry and the Kings Herald crew, they were talking about just they, they kind of roll their eyes at, at uh, Doug, Mark or Kyle, like for just, you know, say, making just being overly positive. Mm-hmm. Like, what were, your, what were your thoughts on those comments? Uh, like, like I said from a previous episode, I, I mean, I don't mind it. I, I think they're like, like compared to other uh, commentators around the league, I think, in my opinion, they're top five. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> like, it's just, I mean, like, it does, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, sometimes, like, they, the things, like, just staying as positive as they are, like, mm-hmm. it's, there are times I roll my eyes when, like, they say some, like, they say, like, oh, my God, look at, look at, like, say, Buddy with the three. Now they're only down 30. And just, and I just roll my eyes at that. And, you know, they're hyping up, like, say, Buddy, for example. Like, it, there are times they make me roll my eyes, but, like, Again, I, I applaud their effort. Like there were times where me and you were just completely destroyed by watching this team because there were some dark, some bad moments during mm-hmm. the season. And these guys still managed to find a way to, you know, pick, find the silver lining and, you know, you know, just to keep, give, keep like giving positive vibes. Although I did catch like Doug a few times, like losing his patience with his team. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he will have those moments to, you know, you know, complain his own opinions, but, you know, overall, like, keeping that positivity up for a really bad NBA team for all these years, too, yeah, you really got to give him credit, at least. And and same you, with, yeah, can you blame him at all, like, for, you know, getting a little chippy at times? <laughs> like, come on, it's some bad. There, we lived through some good basketball, of course, but we lived through some damn bad basketball this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, actually, like, listening to them, I, I kind of forgot what uh, Jerry and uh, the other guy who I shall not name uh, sounded like, <laughs> besides, you know, their, uh, you know, their slogans. Yeah, um, yeah. Unfortunately, I just didn't watch the Kings broadcast up until like this year, so you know I can't comment too much on it. But I, I love our announcing crew. I, I do think they're top five, possibly even top three, like right behind the Hornets announcers. But you know, <laughs> like, it's, it's they're, they're great. Like always keeping a positive vibe, never not being too biased. Like you know, Doug and them shout out the other team. They shout out our guys. Like th- they bring they bring the good vibes. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's it for the podcast. Um, let's quickly kind of just check in with the with the playoffs. Uh, we were gonna just like do it after like you know the, the game ones, but you know some time has passed because and you know un- unforeseen circumstances have kind of uh, just you know pushed our episode backwards. So let's kind of just catch up with uh, what what we have right now. First thing I want to talk about. It's it's honestly it feels like an eternity since this has happened. Uh, Lakers ver- Lakers versus Warriors uh, for the play-in game. That was an amazing game. Oh yeah, it really was. <laughs> I mean, I like you know I'm a bit I'm a I'm not a Warriors fanboy by any means, but like I do follow the Warriors and I do follow like their storylines. Like Andrew Wiggins, like 
he doesn't bring it consistently, but like for some reason, there's some weird beef with him and LeBron. Like he always gets up to play to play LeBron, and man, he guarded him so well that game. And it got to the point where, like, basically LeBron was just saying, like, no, 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 fu- no, fuck this. Get JTA on me. Get Steph Curry on me. Get literally anyone else on me so that I can score on somebody. And granted, he was injured, so it was kind of tough to score on Wiggins the way you did. But, like, man, like, Wiggins showed me something that game. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, only if he, you know, showed that throughout the whole season. I mean, they probably wouldn't have to face the Lakers this soon. Yeah, that's the I mean, that's the issue with uh, Andrew Wiggins, right? It's just there's so much talent and just you know potential just locked up in in that body, and it just it's just never been able to harness it consistently, and it's unfortunate. But like you know, I think you know just listening to him, he's basically their version of Harrison Barnes. Like ironically enough, like mm. it's just. You know, he, he's been good, and he was great that game. It's just unfortunate they didn't finish it. I also want to shout out Draymond. Man, Draymond was good. Like, Draymond, I've never seen anyone guard Anthony Davis like that. He legitimately shut down Anthony Davis for the first three quarters. And I'll get to why, but, like, he, I've never seen, like, Anthony Davis just not be able to do anything. Like, he tried to post up Draymond, it didn't work. He tried to roll to the rim, and Draymond just has, like, these long-ass arms and just, you know, telekinetic powers to be able to see those passes. Like, he just could not get anything going that, like, the entire first three quarters. And, you know, I'm going to end it by saying this. I'm going to—I never thought I'd do this, but I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Lakers fans. I'm so sorry you guys have to watch Andre Drummond play basketball. My God, what the fuck? Oh, just God. The worst fucking... Uh, just watching him play basketball makes me pissed off. I don't want... Like, I was on Lakers Twitter during this game, and why was he ever out there? Like, what does he provide? And it's just... You know, he, you know, like, quote, he provides quote-unquote rebounding. He can't do anything with the rebounds. You know, he doesn't play much defense. He's not a real, like, you know, th- you know, he's not a threat outside of, like, three feet from the hoop. And then there's just moments where, I'm, where he just clogs up the lane, doesn't do anything out there, and for whatever reason, Frank Vogel would just play him. And, like, the, and I guess the worst part of it, you have Marcus Saul just sitting on the bench. He didn't even play this game. For some reason. Oh, really? He didn't even play, and it was. I, huh. It's it must be so frustrating for Lakers fan. I am so sorry you guys just have to deal with him. It's like for some reason, Frank Vogel is is trying his goddamn best to fit a square peg into a round hole. It's just not working. I don't know what the hell it is. Well, I mean, luckily the Lakers won that game, like just barely, oh. to be honest. It could have went either way. Oh, yeah, in the fourth quarter, like, you know how Anthony Davis started get, getting going? Andre Drummond was on the bench, and AD played the five. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, there's space <laughs> to work with down low. <laughs> like, I wonder, I wonder what the difference was. And Yeah, I'm, so, I'm so sorry, Lakers fans, that you had to deal with that kind of shit. Uh, last thing I want to just shout out, like, Draymond kind of, like, he, he hit LeBron pretty hard on a foul. Like I kind of, I kind of hit him in the eye, but I, honestly, it looked like he hit him on the nose more than anything. 
But, like, LeBron just went down and just, like, was curling up, looking like he was about to start crying. Like, I know it was a hard hit. But LeBron, get the fuck up, man. Stop, like, playing. Stop playing. <laughs> Stop playing. Like, just get up and play basketball. Be a fucking man. I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to draw the flagrant on Draymond for e- for free points. Mm-hmm. But, like, it just makes him look so bad. Like, you know, I hate I hate to bring this up, but, like, I know Kobe wouldn't be doing that shit. Like, MJ, I imagine, probably wouldn't be doing that shit. It just makes him look like a bitch. I'm sorry. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, I know why he does it. There's a ta- there's a tactical reason to do it. But it, it's I feel like it, it goes out, it goes to, like, AD, too, who always seems to be on the ground for some reason. Like, granted, he does get hit quite a bit. But it's like, dude... You a man. Like, just man the fuck up. You, like, you're such a pussy. Uh, you know, different era, different times. Everyone needs to flop <laughs> to even get, uh, you know, even close to getting a good score. Yeah, I'm not saying, like, this is what makes Jordan better than LeBron, but it's, like, it's hard. It's just tough for me to watch this shit. Play basketball, man. Why you gotta do this, all all this extracurricular shit, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that's just that's just my take. Anyways, I'm uh, moving on to Bucks versus Heat. Um, my main note is that, like, it was a good game, but like Jimmy Butler shot like shit for some reason. Yet he felt like you felt his presence out there, if, if that makes any sense. But mm-hmm. like, my main note for this for this game was that, like. Giannis was just invisible down the stretch, and did does make me concerned. Like, uh, even if the Bucks beat the Heat, I have concerns if they if they go up against the Nets or hell the Sixers. They, I think they might end up running the Sixers. I don't remember, but like, just the fact that like Giannis can't really affect the game in a meaningful way down the stretch makes me concerned how far they'll get in the playoffs. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting like you said it's gotta come down to the uh you know the teammates right like especially drew um so yeah i guess we'll have to see with uh how drew performs and you know if chris milton pulls through as well uh i mean looking at the box score it seems like uh overall the the bench unit actually pulled through pretty well And yeah, like Chris Middleton came up came up big at the end, but the fact that you can't go to Giannis at all, and like even if you go to Giannis, he'll just get fouled for free throws. Like it's it makes me concerned. And yeah, they're gonna face the Nets if they beat the Heat. Like it's not gonna get any easier. Like mm-hmm. you know, if you're going up against against KD, against Harden, against Kyrie, like you you have to be able to score to be able to keep up with those guys, and I just don't think the defense will be able to hold up enough to win you those games. It, uh, it just makes me concerned if the, that the Bucks are they're going to fall flat, I think, very soon, even if they beat the Heat. Mm. Yeah, gee, man, the Bucks really chucked a lot of shots, especially Giannis, man. The second game against the Heat, one for seven? Well, that, well, the, well, the second game doesn't matter since they got wrecked or heat or they they yeah. wrecked the heat so i don't I even look that. at that and i don't even look at that i'm just i'm my main point is when the game is tight and like you need a bucket from your best player you're not going to Giannis. Mm-hmm. can't go to Giannis because he's he's not a good jump shooter like so the guys will just back off of him and then even if he gets to the rim 
it's it's probably going to be free throws. And he's not good at shooting free throws. He missed two he missed two crucial free throws, both in overtime and at the end of the fourth, to be mm-hmm. able to give like you know the Heat life basically. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me worried. Although you know, good good on Drew and Middleton for coming through. Oh, uh, yeah. Another thing I would just want to quickly shout out: Duncan Robinson got a flagrant foul for kind of giving Chris Middleton a bit of a shoulder. But it was so funny because Chris Middleton looked kind of looked looked like LeBron basically when LeBron got hit in the face and he stayed down there to basically like and he stayed down there until like he made sh- until he made sure that a flagrant was called so that he could sell the foul and it got a flagrant on Duncan Robinson and that was some bullshit <laughs> <laughs> and like I hate the I hate this kind of new. I call it like by the book interpretation of a flagrant foul. You know a flagrant when you know what a flagrant is. Like we all know what a flagrant is. It doesn't need to be like by the book. Oh, if, if they go above the shoulders, if they go towards the head, it's automatically a flagrant foul. Like you know what a flagrant foul is, and whatever, and you know what Duncan Robinson did to Chris Middleton was not a flagrant foul. Like it's it it does like it does kind of go back to like the league getting just getting soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very annoying to watch. Yeah. Uh, Nets versus Celtics. The only main thing I, the only thing I have for this is, uh, I want to, I want to use this opportunity to, to call for banning the charge because Marcus Smart took a very dangerous charge where basically Katie got up in the air, and Marcus Smart takes a charge. He takes, he takes it. Kevin Durant goes horizontal and falls right on his arm. I don't know how his arm is not broken. And he seems fine. But at the same time, like, don't take a charge because, like, that was fucking dangerous, Marcus Smart. Yep. Again, different rules, different times. Got a guy at the row, I guess. And, you know. He took a yeah. similar charge against Giannis in the bubble last year, and luckily Giannis didn't get injured. But it's, it was like the same thing. Like Giannis, I think, landed on one leg while his body was basically like horizontal, and it told, and it like was very nearly about to be like could have been like an ACL or like some sort of leg injury. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he didn't get injured. But like, it's just I just don't want to see any more charges. Like especially kind of a bullshit charge like that he takes where he he slides under them after they get in the air, like bad things are gonna happen, and and I just hope no, no one ever gets hurt that way. Yep, we're just gonna have to hope. Uh, Luca versus the Clippers. Luca basically kind of played the Clippers in the first game, and uh, yeah, I, I just I just say like, well, they should probably take some pointers from the Kings. You just got to make the Mavs miss threes. And unfortunately, the Mavs shot like 46% from three in the first game. Yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. Like, yeah, I, I'm still surprised to this day that we beat the, uh, swept the Mavs in the regular season. But, you know, playoffs are different. And, uh, I, you know, Luka wants, wants to go far, I guess. I don't. I don't think they'll beat the Clippers, but like, man, the Clippers again. Like, it doesn't help that it's the Clippers. Like, it just seems like they're always cursed to just lose for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, I don't know how we were able to. Like the the Mavs all year just missed threes. Like Tim Hardaway Jr. was basically horrible in all three games against us. 
it's one of those just weird anomalies but you know like i i i hope that you know pan, uh, i was about to say pandemic p but hope paul george figures something out because jesus he is he's like okay for the most part but it just seems like they just don't play well against the mavericks it's weird mm. oh i i feel like the next season is gonna be a lot different <laughs> I'm currently checking the Lakers. So we're recording this during the Lakers and and LA and the Lakers and Suns game. Yeah, Andre Drummond is still playing minutes, and somehow it's a plus fourteen. Good for him. Oh. I don't. Oh. I I was about to call him like a seven foot buddy without without a jump shot. Because oh, that's God. that's honestly kind of what he is. Just doesn't contribute much to the game, and like the fact that he can't shoot basically means he doesn't contribute jack shit to the game. Mm-hmm. For the most part, and it's just he's what he's got to be the most frustrating player to watch for any team. Like I remember just like reading a tweet once, it was like, well, oh my god, like the you know if the Kings drafted better in 2012, they could have had Andre Drummond. And what? Yeah. <laughs> what is he gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> Does that change? Does it change anything? He's not a good player. No, Ugh. I would definitely would have probably traded him after the first season, probably. Not after the first season, but like he's a player. He's a player that doesn't add anything to winning. I'm sorry, <laughs> like he's not a good NBA player. Um, okay, we're moving on to the Suns versus Lakers. Um, so Suns basically not dominated the Lakers, but like they they beat them pretty convincingly the first the first game. Like Aiden was I think 10 for 11 um during the game. And like AD was terrible. Andre Drummond was garbage. Um, Chris Paul injures his shoulder, and LeBron looks like just looks off. And it looked like he had a shoulder injury. And yeah, what do you what are your thoughts on this series? And who do you think is gonna win? Ooh, I, I I still think the Lakers would win, but it's gonna be like a tight series. I, I'm gonna say maybe it'll go down to seven games uh, going towards the Lakers. But that's if, uh, you know, LeBron is hopefully healthy by the, that time. And, you know, the other players, you know, are becoming that supporter cast that LeBron needs. And that supporting cast involves Anthony Davis. I mentioned that he was garbage this game. Yeah, he was bad. It was just like, I don't even know how to describe it. How are you going to get dominated by, like, DeAndre Ayton the way he did. He just had no bounce. And it's just like one of those things where when people say AD is a top five player, it just makes me queasy. It's just I've never seen a top five player just like just not have an effect on the game so consistently like AD does. Not consistently, (laughs) but it happens way too often for my liking. And yeah, hopefully he's able to bounce back. LeBron, I can trust the bounce back despite like his, his high ankle sprain. Like he had no explosion this game. And mm-hmm. yep, CP3 ends up getting like injured. Like he literally couldn't dribble dribble the basketball, and they somehow pulled this one out. Like I would I wouldn't be too worried if I were the Lakers, just because you have LeBron James on your team, and LeBron has earned that trust to be able to turn it on when he needs to. But it's going to be an interesting series. Um, my other my next question for you: Do you think Chris Paul and LeBron will be friends after the series? Oh, what? <laughs> After the series, mm, I don't think so. I mean, they're they're competing against each other, especially in the first round. I mean, shoot, whoever wins, 
is going to like talk crap to one another. I don't. I I, I imagine they're going to keep it professional and still stay as friends. But like Chris Paul has that ability to annoy the shit out of people, and also like honestly get, play a little dirty because like that play he had on LeBron where he kind of yanked his shoulder. I was that was a bit dangerous while he's going up, by the way. And I, I think LeBron sold it a little bit too, but like that was a dangerous play. And mm-hmm. you know, there is a chance like these got this might be, you know, a Magic Johnson Isaiah Thomas situation where after the finals they weren't really friends anymore. Although there's more there's more to it, but like, you know, Chris Ball has that effect. He he is ultra competitive and can cross the line between like being competitive and just being straight dirty. Mm-hmm. We shall see. Uh, oh, yeah, another thing. Uh, uh, Cam- Cameron Payne uh, and Alex Caruso got into a bit of a scuffle. And Montrez, the truck man, comes in and just kind of – looks like he's trying to actually de-escalate the situation, but just essentially, like, t- almost, almost like, gores – not gores, but, like, he ta- tackles, like, campaign because he's just so goddamn strong, even though he's clearly, like, trying to de-escalate the situation – just ends up escalating it to like to like levels that it never should have been. <laughs> and also like I, I thought I thought that was more on campaign for like you know for no reason just like sh- giving uh, Caruso a shoulder tackle for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and like people were talking about like it was Caruso's fault. I didn't think it was Caruso's fault. I thought campaign was just being an asshole and just like I don't know what the hell he was doing and somehow. Campaign gets ejected, but Montrez doesn't. I thought that was really funny. Oh, rest favoring the Lakers, I see. Well. Possibly, yeah. Although Montrez doesn't really help you, so <laughs> matter it if you got ejected. My opinion. Maybe some some people might disagree, but I don't think he helps you that much. Uh, moving on, uh, Knicks fans. The Knicks are back in the playoffs, baby. Oh. It's well. like, my God, that goddamn crowd was so lit. Like, they were just on fire the entire game. They, I mean, like, the first chant was something along the lines of, fuck Trey Young. Like, the energy that they bring to the arena, it's unparalleled. And by the way, I'm, re- I'm listening to Shatter right now on The Athletic. Great podcast, by the way, if you guys have a chance, check it out. Like, they were talking about how... Basically, the infrastructure inside the uh, the cybersecurity like uh, systems within the Madison Square Garden are very outdated and are very susceptible to hacks. And apparently, an employee brought up like the fact that they should probably upgrade their cyberware, like you know, uh, hardware and software. And apparently, the people who the management that works there is like, why do we ever need to upgrade anything? Like we're we're making money. And the fact that this this building sold out, like I think it was like 16,000 capacity, the Knicks are just never going to change. Like it doesn't matter how much this team sucks, doesn't matter how much they fuck over fans, they treat their players like shit, like you know tossing out Charles Oakley, disrespecting Patrick Ewing, disrespecting Spike Lee, disrespecting like so many figureheads and like their entire fan base. As soon as this team is good, they just all come flooding, flooding back, and they, because they just love this goddamn team so much. That's yeah, that's some dedication. 
I mean, same with football for New York too. I mean, they have that kind of dedication that I don't think any sports fan in the United States have. I mean, the the aforementioned Spike Lee, do got do essentially got you know heavily disrespected by James Dolan and the Knicks organization, who apparently wouldn't let him in through a essentially a secret entrance that guys like Spike Lee get access to. Like mm-hmm. the team can disrespect you like that. They make it back to the playoffs. You're in the front row, just like old times, trying to talk shit to Trey Young, who hits the game winner in your face and tells you to shh, just like old times, just like the Reggie Miller days, because you just love this team so much. And the reason why I'm talking about this as much as I am, I think I think when the Kings make the playoffs, we're going to bring this kind of energy to the Golden 1 Center. Oh, yeah. Are we going to reconvert all the Golden State fans back to Kings fans? I don't, I don't know so much about that, but it's going to be lit. I hope it's as <laughs> lit as this, like, you know, next year we make the playoffs. Like, man, that, like that crowd was so electric. Like, you could just see the passion when, like, every time, like, Obi Toppin gets a dunk, the Emmanuel quickly pull up three from 30 feet. That arena exploded, man. I, I, I love that energy. Like, as much as I make fun of, like, Knicks fans, they are by far the most passionate fans in in the world. To have to put through, put, put through, or, like, put up with so much bullshit and still love this team with, like, that, like, so unconditionally, with that much fervor and just passion, mm-hmm. unmatched. And I hope the Kings can match that level. I hope only the Kings will be one of the fan bases that I think can match that level of energy. Oh, we'll have to see. I mean, you think we'll go to the first playoff game ever in this long of years? I want to. I'll have to see the price. I know it's going to be pricey as shit, but it might be worth it. It First time in 15 goddamn years, well, 16 at this, by the time uh, 2022 rolls around, like, it's going to be lit. Oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, last thing I want to talk about. Yeah, sorry, this is a long episode. <laughs> just like listening to, our, to us talk. Uh, Kyle, just uh, Jazz versus Grizzlies. The only note I have is that, you know, Kyle Anderson <laughs> weirdly getting chippy with the Jazz. I thought it was so weird. It's like him getting angry seems so rare. And like, man, there might be some animosity there. And I, I like, I like that level of just. That level of competitive competitiveness from them, and this might be an interesting series if Donovan Mitchell does not come back 100%. Hmm. We'll have to see. Let's see. When did they play? Actually, I kind of want to watch that game. Tomorrow, I think. Ooh. Let's see. And Donovan Mitchell's coming back tomorrow. Yes, he is coming back tomorrow. Ooh. Yeah, we'll have to see. And, you know, shout out to the Grizzlies. Like, you know, good, great work on making the playoffs. Like, I had, I didn't think you had any chance against Golden State. You, you proved me wrong. John Moran is, you know, a budding star. Amin Al Hassan decided to take take a chance to kind of dunk on King's Twitter and De'Aaron Fox for not making the playoffs, but his Grizzlies ended up making the playoffs. Like, this is a young core that has a lot, that has a very bright future. And with a full season of Jaron Jackson next year. Like they have only they they can only go up and you know congratulations to them. I just wish you I just wish you didn't employ so many so many assholes on the team. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean we'll never forget Matt too. We'll never forget. Yeah. 
will but yeah congratulations to them and this is again interesting series i don't think they'll beat the jazz but like they could they could make the jazz a little nervous yeah we'll have to see i mean i as long as donovan mitchell's healthy or was that we'll, we'll have to see to be honest yeah okay well that was a lot and that is you know that brings us to the end of this a uh, long, 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 long podcast. This will be fun to edit. Um, yeah, um, we're hope you know unfo- unforeseen events caused us to not be able to bring a, an episode last or the second episode last week. But hopefully, we'll get back on track, and you know, hopefully, we'll have more news to bring to you guys about the Kings. And if not, we'll still bring you kind of you know some you know f- semi constant updates on playoffs you know i'm always happy to give my thoughts on you know uh you know the entire nba you know like there's only so much kings i can cover and you know i like talking about the rest of the nba Mm -hmm. oh yeah uh what do you think our next episode will be uh we will oh i had an idea i'm blanking out on it right now but we i do have an idea what the next episode will be but yeah just stay tuned for that one mm-hmm. i mean yeah it's it's been like what two hours yes it has been two hours so yeah i i, I mean i guess we shall end this and uh well we'll see you guys later then